0: Yeah, whenever you're ready. From Yowa, this is Two Takes and a Pod. Alrighty. Okay, so welcome everybody. This is another episode of Two Takes and a Pod. My name, my name, my beautiful name is Falari, And my name is Osai. It's also beautiful.
1: And this is our theme that we give you. You're feeling a little bit left out there (laughs) I mean my name's good But it's just like When your name is so beautiful It's just like you know so and you you <laughs> yeah. know everybody looks at you like well <laughs> yeah it's fine i mean your name is nice too like, my name uh, my name is dope so yeah like, shit yeah. don't get it twisted man yeah, bro it's Yo, okay you know trust me man you. Yo, so hey look, I, look I, <laughs> I, i'm I, not saying much but <laughs> i don't need to commit you okay? <laughs> he, he said hey
0: look like your name is being discussed on the streets like you know people know this name yeah is man it's like hey is it is it, is it what is it
1: is it african or is it japanese I'm okay like, you get um, japanese too i get japanese i, mean, though. I guess osama osaka or something Welcome to episode two, guys. Uh, yeah. we're, we're not talking about names this episode. We are not. We are not. We are yeah. talking about uh, the future. Ooh. I feel like we need to cue in some, like, Odyssey-type music or something.
0: Okay. Noted for the editor. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> our, our, the, the thematic approach to this collection uh, is called Our Collision with Tomorrow. And the basic premise is, like, we are unprepared for what the future brings. That's right. just the central premise, right? Um, and uh, part of that premise come, has come, or did come, or is from, who bars, um, <laughs> from an article we both read by um, a futurist slash journalist that was written in, what, 69, 70, and it's called Future as a Way of Life. And that article led this guy to doing a bunch of research on how, you know, American society at the time approaches the future. And then later wrote a book called Future Shock. Uh, so he coined the term Future Shock in this original article and um, went on, did his bunch of research uh, and and then wrote this book, Future Shock. And then we read it and now we're like, holy shit, this guy's got a couple of points. Um, and this is all the way from, you know, the late 60s, early, early 70s. Um, and so, you know, we connect that to the ideas that we want to talk about in terms of us being unprepared for tomorrow.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um he takes a very interesting approach uh he starts off in the i feel like he started off with the article and then five years later i don't know if he kept thinking about it or was already thinking about it and then he comes up with a book and then he has a whole bunch of books that like follow up on that too yeah he was researching it during those five years yeah. yeah exactly right so it's just like incredible how much uh of that of what he talks about in the book as well as the article um actually came to fruition. So if you just Google Alvin Toffler, future as a way of life or whatever, like you'll find out like a bunch of different articles about things that he actually successfully predicted. Now, he did not get everything right. And um, that's also something that we'll talk about because he also kind of accounted for that um, in his piece. But yeah, like...
0: Yeah, actually, sorry, mm -hmm. but like the the premise, sorry, not the premise. uh, One of the things he says that's really key is that it's not important that all of the predictions come to pass right exactly it's the method of thinking that's really really important it's the approach to thinking about the future that's really important and mm-hmm. like your mindset about the future um and if you adopt that mindset then you will be able to get your predictions accurate right Right. that, or, that was like the, the the main at least from the i haven't read the book i know you've, you've read, look, look, read some of the reading, chapters yeah. of the book um but that that was like one of the through lines through the through the article so first things first define future shock for me
1: Yeah. So, I mean, for me, uh, the way I would define it is basically future shock. Okay. So I think when he talks about it, right. In the article, he actually starts off describing culture shock first, and then he kind of uses that as a way to describe what future shock feels like, or could be, or could feel like, right. So culture shock takes place when like an individual finds himself in a place where their usual their usual psychological and social cues are replaced with foreign ones right so that's like you know you're in night and then you come um you come to Canada and then all of a sudden I mean,
0: like wow, they say please and thank you here
1: <laughs> exactly or like you go to the gas station and like you're just expected to fill that thing or pay there or go inside and pay you know mm-hmm. so what I'm saying I guess you can do that in night too can I have you? no idea uh I just I, I felt like I remember when I saw people just doing that when I first got to Canada, I was like, wait, whoa, you guys are not, like, people are not just stealing this thing and going. You know what Be I'm saying? Like, people like are okay. we just walking away with it. Like, in night I don't think that, like, there's that level of trust in the, in the culture yet. But, like, the idea was just, like, the social and psychological cues that you typically expect um, when you go to this new place, they're either significantly different and strange or just you can't even comprehend them. Like, because, you know, different language, all those different kind of things. Sweet. So when it comes to future shock it, it kind of uh exists as like some sort of like from a time point of view so right so it's just like when individuals um in a society are not ready for
0: the future so let's just boil this down to one sentence it's the dizzying disorientation brought about by the premature arrival of the future so taking the concept of scientist explained about culture shock which is like all of the cues that you usually recognize Mm -hmm. no longer exist well that's that dizzying disorientation brought about by future arriving too soon
1: right and what what does that mean really right like so what he basically says is like the rate of change in society happens like when it happens so fast that the new culture is superimposed on the current one so there's no like time for preparation for you to actually figure out what's going on So what does that mean like you today you know everybody goes to work and has to you know travel to work tomorrow all of a sudden everybody's working from home right like what what what's that like and how does that impact you know economy life relationships um so think about that on a much grander scale um he uses a bunch of examples that we're gonna obviously explore but that's essentially the idea in a nutshell right that dizzying experience where like we start to feel the effects whether we know it like whether it's conscious or unconscious um uh, due to these
0: changes that we're seeing all mm-hmm. right and like a key emphasis here i think is is on on the term shock right um which is basically one way to look at it is like it's a shock because it's not a natural step in you know evolution or a natural step in time passing mm-hmm. right um and and so you, and you're shocked because you're unprepared right it's kind right. of like holy shit what what and like i mean you perfectly just done it with one day we're all going to work and then Mm. the next day march 18th is like you're working from home right um (laughs) that that's obviously is is um and i love this this sentence here that's an accelerated change um and so what are the consequences of accelerated change well uh, this quote from the the article is so brilliant it says Mm -hmm. change is avalanching down upon our heads and most people are utterly unprepared to cope with it right Right.
1: yeah like, like you know, what's interesting about that, too, is just, like, the reason why, like, I haven't, like, wanted to emphasize on the whole shock thing was because, like, people are going to probably listen to this, like, fam, like, you, you know I mean? things have changed that we've seen? Like, you, mm-hmm. you know, all this stuff happened. I still got my job. I'm still kind of on track in whatever I'm going to do or, you know, my my relationship is not affected and things like that. I mean, obviously, we know that, like, a lot of things have affected, have been affected, right? Like, I think divorce rates are significantly up as a result of, like uh the whole quarantine situation right forcing people to kind of engage or not have that space that they basically use to kind of avoid the real issues in their relationships or not i'm not judging right but like ultimately like this shock does exist in way more ways than none and typically we we don't like n- understand that so one of the things that he talks about right is just like, like um you know re- so what's also interesting right like he, he wrote this in 65 right and in '65, in his head, they were like at the budding state of like innovation. You know, uh, they had just gone past like uh, th- uh, they just figure out forgot nuclear energy. Mm-hmm. They finished building the atomic bomb. Like all of these things are going, and they feel like, and they're like on the cusp of dis- discovering the internet. Mm-hmm. So these guys really feel like, yo, they they got figure things out, and things yeah. are moving fast and everything. Now we're about 35 years later, <laughs> and. Well, I was actually significantly more than that. That's I like, mean, I was gonna say but it's fine. like, Jesus thirty-five anyway, is a good number. Fifty-five, whatever, <laughs> right? But um, <laughs> so so it's about it's about fifty-five years later, right? And I feel like some of those things, some of these advice that he's talking about, were ignored, and like now we're feeling it, right? So he's talking about how like at then what they were experiencing, um, people com- compared it to industrial revolution, but it was really like going from barbarianism to civilization. That's how he described it. Like Mm -hmm. the, the exchange, the, the, uh, the gap is that wide. It's not as small. It's not as small as just, Oh, from, you know, a new industrial revolution. So we basically figured out a new way. No, like it's changing the whole way we see things.
0: We were talking about like, okay, what happens when change is accelerated? We kind of talked about, um, conceptually the idea that there's a huge gap between, um, societies right as you as you technologically improve right Right. so this concept i think is great how we introduced it in in the article and it's good for us to think about which is that like between you know zero bc or one bc or i guess one ad after death and 1910 right um we consumed x amount and then between 1910 and today we've consumed probably five times that amount. I'm not sure what the number is. It was like 10 times, yeah. Yeah, yeah. but like essentially the idea is that it took us 2,000 years to do one thing and then the next 100 years is what we're going to take to do that except same amount of things. So right. the, the rate of change keeps on accelerating. Right. Um, and what does that do to human beings? Because human beings don't plan for things to get faster from a societal perspective. Right. We plan for it from a technological perspective, right? so and here and there too right not even not <laughs> no, even well great, right? right right um and his focus is really on on the fabric of society and preparing humans mm-hmm. right so i mean you you talked about work earlier and i would love for us to like expand on work um a little bit because i mean, maybe that's a good entry point for people to understand this mm-hmm. so you know you've talked about the, how we're seeing this in the pandemic today which is that like Pan- I guess we're still in the pandemic. So in 2020, mm-hmm. where we had a pandemic and the rate of change between how we work over the span of four months is basically five years worth of change, right? Essentially. Absolutely. At least. One of the big questions he asks in um, the 60s, right, is it um, talks about how will the role of the father be transformed with the loss of his historic role as the family provider? Basically, how will we determine the esteem in which we hold a man when he doesn't have to work to bring money or food to the family dynamic? Now, this mm-hmm. is a different kind of question around work, but it's essentially the same thing. Over the last ten years, mm-hmm. right? We or more. I don't know if it's, it's probably been more, even more mm-hmm. but we've seen like you know, men working less within the family dynamic and women working more, right. and the kind of questions that has popped up around the role of the man, right? People, right. Men feel emasculated, you know? You see questions pop up on Twitter all the time, right? You know, if if your husband is making, if the man is making X and the woman is making X times two and right. then who will quit their job, that kind of thing, right? So right. these are big questions he was asking in the 60s around, like, the role of work, right? Right, And how society will deal with that when that changes. Mm-hmm. So um, why did I bring this up?
1: What are you talking about, like, The impact of work right and also i guess
0: with the pandemic yeah so i think the accelerated change change, right yeah okay
1: yeah so okay so yeah i think that's that's very accurate so like the the you know i guess the way i think about that is um with if you're starting with the pandemic you know yeah like that gradual change because people have already been able to work remotely right like if you're Mm -hmm. a consultant of some sort especially if you're on like the technical side or or everyone work you know like or even if you're working as like a management consultant kind of thing, mm-hmm. you can essentially maybe go on site or go to a meeting or show up every other day. But for the most part, you don't need to actually work from, from you home. know, from the office, from right? the office. From right. The right. Office, right? Yeah. So that that like, you know, like, and I think he talks about it, like those kind of careers as you're going further, like essentially give you that mobility that you need. Right. But the fact that that's now being imposed on everybody now means that we all are going to have to think about the fact that, you need to, If you're having a job, ideally, especially in a pandemic kind of situation, you want to effectively be able to earn from home, right? And you want to be working somewhere that can afford and, and allow for you to be able to do that. And the fact that, like, that's happened within a matter of months mm. um, is just a sign of, one, how whether or not we have the technology, other factors can impact this rate of change, right? And then, like, when you talk about the role of a man in um, – uh, you know in terms of like society i think we talked about it we talked about it in masculinity episode last season as well right and like that's one of the things where um you know a lot of men we see our value as being able to put food on the table for our family for and you know for not just the our our kids and our wife and everybody but like also our parents as well right and now we're in a society where most women are don't i don't say most women i would say most women basically earn. Like, it's not mm-hmm. even a question, right? And most women also have literacy. Like, uh, what's the word that they used to use back in the day? Female literacy. Remember that shit? Where are like, no. uh, so in, in, uh, in developing countries, right, the rate of female literacy was significantly less than okay. in developed countries, right? Okay. And now we are basically at a point where, well, I guess that's still the case, right? But, you know, which is still a problem. But like, for the most part, women have gone to school, they're educated, they can do everything. There's, no there's no reason why sh- you do everything better than her. You know what I'm saying? It's probably just whether or not she's had to focus on it or not. Or, you understand what I'm saying? As opposed to all the anchors that kept women down before. Mm-hmm. So th- that change has happened over a significantly slow period of time. And I don't think, you know, to your point, I think this is probably what you, why you brought it up. I don't think that's that we've been able to adapt to that change effectively. Yeah. You know what I mean? I think that's still a challenge for most men, like if you're being honest, like even in the millennial um, age, right? So the idea that like we can't, We're struggling to adapt to that change, right? Um, It's something that, you know, we should actually keep in mind when we're not talking about something as quickly as basically working remotely. Where does that change next, right? People have always talked about technology taking over. So there are a lot of changes we can expect to see, Mm -hmm. or at least we've already seen within our lifetimes when it comes to work, right? And the idea that, like, that's not going to be slowing down not um, is you know is a, a little bit concerning if I'm perf- being perfectly honest right but it's the reason why we are having this conversation like um
0: so what are some of the other ways like that we, we we are unprepared for the consequences of accelerated change like I mean we've got I mean obviously the internet and social media and I think more specifically social media right accelerated mm-hmm. change um even the th- internet too yeah I mean the internet's been around much longer than social media right so um I mean if we're looking at just between 2007 and 2010. And then 2010, 2015. Mm-hmm. Actually, no, 13. Then 2013, 2015. Because I I, 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 remember a marked change between 2013 and 2015 of how people interacted on social media. On, I mean, Twitter was a wild place in 2013. Let's not even talk about that. Mm-hmm. But if we, you know, if we pick a platform like Instagram, where like Instagram between 2013 and 2015 was like, you know, just sharing a picture of like you know your guitar or your plant or your where you, You're, you are, went for a, a walk yeah food. It was, exactly. food was a big thing food then. was a big thing and now it's it's a performance now it's an art now it's like now it's now it's a business it, now it's a business people yeah. are getting wealthy off instagram right. right so and that's just in five years right, right? so the, the there's a lot of consequences um that we are not may not even be aware of until the next cycle
1: yeah i mean okay I can talk on about this whole social media thing, Larry knows? But I will chill For a couple of days. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I will chill. But I think what's interesting to me, and it's probably something we can explore, might explore later on in the season, anyway, um, is the is the lack of restrictions from the technological giants, right? So, like, one of the things I always thought about, right? Maybe like at least five, no, like seven, eight years ago, is like, you should Google just exist the way they are, mm. and it should be. I felt like Google should be like the Ministry of Information or something. <laughs> right now that doesn't really make any sense but like my point is like they have so much access to your information that like it's almost like it's a public responsibility yeah. you understand what i'm saying it's not just the business it's a great product mm-hmm. right but like it's not just a business anymore right like like yeah. it's a public responsibility mm-hmm. that like that mm-hmm. they're not really held to that same standard for and some from something like facebook i think we looked at in the same way so and, what i'm essentially saying is that like these companies, um, apart from the fact that like, they are the basis of how we typically communicate now. So think about it in the pandemic, for example. The way we connect in the pandemic now is through video calls, social media. Mm-hmm. Like, That's how we're able to stay connected as effectively as possible. And the fact that these companies that basically provide this service are not, um, are not restricted from a psychological point of view, honestly, psychological point of view, from a wellness point of view. We're like, both, we're, both work. I like yeah, both. Right, mm. right. But like, the fact that you're not restricted, it means it, it you know, I think I was watching this uh, documentary called Social Dilemma, and they were basically saying that like, it's kind of having like some middleman who's just trying to make money from your interactions. Mm. Right. So, like, ideally, when you're interacting with somebody, you want it to be as genuine and honest as possible. And obviously, you can still get that for the most part from video calls and voice calls and things like that. But when you're using the social platforms, they're taking and recording all of that data. Right, So even your voice and video calls, that data is probably still being collected and can be used and effectively manipulated to get you to spend money on the platform. Mm. So the fact that your basis of communication for the most part is going increasingly online and those online companies incentives have always been the same to make profit at essentially your expense becomes a concerning thing. And as they grow with more powerful technology from just regular typical algorithms to machine learning. What you're now looking like at is like basically you have an algorithm that studied you for how long have we had Instagram now? 10 years? 10 years right ago. it's 10year ten, ten birthday today actually, I think. Nice. right So how, so that's been watching and tracking every single one of your interactions for 10 years, right? Mm. At some point it's going to be powerful enough to start predicting exactly what you like and controlling and effectively manipulating the situation to guarantee that you're going to spend money
0: here Mm -hmm. you understand what i'm saying and 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 i guess um alvin's argument um and really what he pushes for in his piece is that if if you're not trying to anticipate that if you're not prepared for the um for the inevitability that this tech is going to try and anticipate your shit and predict and then push stuff to you you can be caught unawares and be uh, susceptible to, oh. to the to the shock, right? Which is kind of where we see we are already there. Already there. <laughs> exactly. All of us. I'm talking shit. Yeah. I'm there, right yeah. there. I'm right yeah. there too. So um a- another concept that, that, that he covers really well um in his piece is and I and I found really really interesting is, is how to connect how we manage our expectation of the future to, to class structures and how different class structures view time and view the future. And I stuff I thought this was really, really interesting um, because it connects to, in my, in my view, power, it connects to how we plan, mm-hmm. um, and it connects to basically how you live your life, right? So right. Uh, he, he talks about the lower class folk viewing time and viewing the future as in terms of immediate action and immediate gratification. What can I do today that can help me tomorrow? Which makes sense. Which, right? I mean, you're, it's basically folks in the lower class are, are really trying to survive. Exactly. Right? And that survival exactly. is all about the next thing, right? right. So immediate action and immediate gratification um and folks in in middle class are are more thinking about things in terms of like um what can we do or or they view the future as static or society as static as it goes into the future
1: no 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 i think i think that was for the uh not the middle class the uh higher class what was the word upper class right cuz they you know cuz okay so what i think i remember was um the upper class basically wanting to be static and they were building it based on the
0: past so no <laughs> Okay, so, yeah. so you were... Yeah, okay. I was okay. definitely correct. Thank you. Um, <laughs> okay, well, they also looked at it as static. but No, so all, all, what is consistent through every class is that they all believe that the future is going to be the same as today, right? right? Um, the, the upper class, right, they do things because it's always been done that way, which I think is kind of what you're referring to, right? They, they, they are basically living their lives to mirror what their grandfather did. So the good example that he made was that like, oh, you should study for this test so that your grandfather can be proud of you, which right. is versus, versus a middle-class mom would say to their kid, you should study for this test so that you, you can be a lawyer. And then the example he used was that the middle-class mom is assuming that a lawyer will still be a viable profession in 20 in years. Right, right. Okay. Right, which oh, is yes. viewing it as, it's going to be the same. This this life is still going to be the same life we're living, mm-hmm. um, but then the motivations are different right right but the the effect is also the same which is yes. kind of like the, the point yes okay so yeah uh yeah
1: sorry for interrupting that took, that's exactly that was exactly right so what was super interesting to me about that though is that like okay so for the upper class right we, we typically get the, the lower class why you're, you're struggling to survive everyday counts and you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow right mm-hmm. upper class though it's like it's not just because they want it, they look they look at the past because the system has worked for them it's work. they were able to finesse the system right mm-hmm. and like now they're good so the idea of having to change to just something new is not as attractive to them either, right? So they're basically, they've, they've you know what I mean? Like, oh, your your dad went to Harvard and everything. So the legacy is Harvard. And you mm-hmm. want Harvard to still be there because you know you can get to it. Exactly. You understand what I'm yeah. saying? But not everybody else is kind of like, uh, can we get something else that's just as good for half or, you know, one-eighth the price? Jesus. Yeah. yeah. You, and you,
0: the, the big connection for me to this, and like you really just nailed it, is is how it connects to power, right? Which is that. Folks who are in the upper class are more likely to be the same people who control power within the society. Right. Um, And these are the same folks who are more likely to be averse to change. Right. And to progress because of their viewpoint on the future. Right. right? Because they know that it works for them. They know... Um, that you know, if we behave in this certain way, these are going to be the desired outcomes, and so they don't want to change shit. Why yes. would I change right. it to
1: something unpredictable? Like, for example, case in point, right? Um, we're just gonna run through a bunch of examples here, right? Um, Trump's America, right? You understand why mm-hmm. it's worked for them. The idea that like changing it to something else that's not necessarily quote unquote, you know, white, um, is is concerning to them, which obviously makes sense, right? Um, you look at like. Uh, uh in nigeria where uh the presidents all love to hold on to that power right Mm -hmm. like they never want just the one you know i mean i get it too but after they get two they want more right because again they want to keep the change they want to keep things that way and beyond that it's not just the president i'm talking about like a certain class in nigeria right where a certain political class in nigeria that essentially control and have the future of nigeria in a chokehold Right? Like, you can't explore to go in there and do any and have any effective change because one, you're going to need a lot of money. Two, you're going to need a lot of influence and power. Right? And three, you're going to need to be really, very smart because even the people don't even under, fully understand the predicament that they're in. Right? And again, they're trying to survive. So they don't care about what you're thinking about for 50 years right from now. they are caring about tomorrow and next tomorrow. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So it's just kind of like, I, I, I thought it was really interesting in the sense of how like that power play essentially happens and how, even when there is a future and even when they acknowledge and reluctantly acknowledge that there is a future or the future is changing, that they're fighting first to get access and control of that too. Mm.
0: So, I mean, these these are concepts that really, really help solidify the idea in my mind. Um, And then it transitions very quickly to um okay so what is what is needed uh and how can you prepare better and the term that i really love was future consciousness right which is that what what can you be doing and what how can you stretch your mind in a way that allows you to create an environment where you're always thinking about what can be the moral or societal impact of my actions in the future Mm -hmm. um he talks a lot about you know reading science fiction science fiction this is the point i made earlier about you know in, in society we, we predict the future a lot in, in terms of technology right um star trek you know how do we get to space um mm-hmm. everything if film art whatever when we think about future it's always technological right, right? it's always like oh we're gonna have these massive ass screens we're gonna have things that pop out of our arms that right. like allow us to do all these incredible things right but when you're projecting the future through art or through creativity you're not really often talking about like you know what is the moral fabric of the future going to be like is right. it going to be okay for you to do certain things that are wild as fuck that are not so wild today you know right. um like folks when they had slaves back in the day weren't thinking in a 100 years i wonder if having slaves would be okay no they were very happy to just continue having slaves you know right. and, the, and that's kind of what i mean by the, the moral fabric do we think about it in the future um and yeah he talks about you know reading stuff that can like encourage young minds to be more imaginative about what politics can look like, what the social fabric can look like, what psychology can look like in terms of how you think and how you mm-hmm. operate. Um, yeah, I mean, like, I
1: feel like, you know, that is a pretty solid idea. And I, for, me, for me, like, I, I think the idea of the science fiction is, like, interesting because, I think it just puts it in our head and people want to explore that a little bit more and it's fantastical and it's interesting, right? Like it's better than like, you know, reading up on history, especially as a, you know, teenager. Mm. Right. But um, like those things are so important. Like, and it's more than just reading up on it. I think that these psychological, like, so for example, when we talk about technology and social media, like there's proof that it does have a social and psychological impact on young adults, right, yeah. that basically don't have, and haven't seen anything else, was part of their developmental stages, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and nobody is really taking that step as a governmental body or just just a body that's essentially looking out and saying, hey, we, we need you guys to, regulate to keep this thing unregulated or let's analyze and assess this, give us your data. Like something that allows us to really be able to look introspectively at what is really happening and whether some of these things are can be really, really harmful further on. Mm. You know what I mean? And like, so yeah, like check out, you know, like I feel like for kids, you know, for people who are just kind of learning and figuring things out, I think, um, science fiction makes a lot is, is necessary right and it's really interesting like it's fun you kind of basically get to learn a little bit more and also figure some things out and really much get some ideas in your head i feel like science fiction has never been more important than it is now yeah honestly yeah because we're changing so fast mm. because so part of the other thing that like i don't i don't know if you really touched on it but it's just like yeah you did the rate of change is constantly increasing it's increasing like what's the word it's exponential Right, so what that means is like it's doubling, like so. It took a, like after a hundred years, it took one. Next uh, next year, it's going to take two. Then it's going to take four, and then it's going to just keep increasing yeah. exponentially by, I guess, a factor of two in this yeah. case. Shout anyway, out to
0: Asai for explaining exponential to the audience.
1: <laughs> yeah, I guess, I guess, I guess they, I guess they already knew that, right? <laughs> yeah. um, um, I'm going to assume you already did, but like the idea is that it, it's constantly increasing, right? And, and things like you know that like the corona pandemic have also heightened that change, right? So the idea that idea that like the um, future is unknowable, um, like we have to kill it, right? So he says we must kill once and for all the popular myth that the future is unknowable. Like we have to kill it. We have to actually put at least in the back of our mind that we are subject to change. We might not be ready for this change. And if it were to come, what are we gonna do? Especially if we don't have um, big ass organizations dedicated to figuring this out for us. Yeah,
0: yeah, for sure. Uh, and like one of the things he talks about that I think is really cool is training people in the techniques of prediction. And, like, okay, so I don't know if you were ever, like, a Sherlock Holmes fan, right? Yeah. Um, I mean, that's deduction, but I'm getting to my point, right? Which is just, like, learning little things. Uh, like, deduction is really just a skill, right? Like, you look at something, and then you eliminate a bunch of other shit to get yeah. to your conclusion. Yeah. Um, And, like, the idea that, you know, through learning about logic and through learning about psychology, you can just get better at predicting uh, logic, psychology, and awareness of what the moment is telling you Mm-hmm. You can get better at predicting what the next moment is going to be like. Right. Um, mm-hmm. and it's one thing to be thinking about this as a middle-aged 20-something year old. It's another to be thinking about it as a 14, 15 year old who's developing. Right. Like you're saying right now, right? Like where you can see the impact that technology and social media is having on kids, even though that's not um the only thing that we want to focus on. But like it's it's so apparent, right? That if you're if you just talk to kids about, hey, this is what it is now, mm-hmm. you see what Instagram is doing right now, mm-hmm. these are all the things that they can do. Right. Think about what the impact is going to be in 20 years. Right. And you get them thinking about it young. Right. Right. Therefore, and they, they're they thinking five, ten times faster about this stuff than we are anyway. Right. Right. right? So if you can embed that into them young, what kind of what, what kind of solutions are you going to get in the future? And if you can have, like you were saying just now, large organizations that are specifically dedicated to this stuff. Mm-hmm. Right. Like man, I, I think he says this in the article, man already has more data right to predict the future then we can we ever know what we can do with right but we are just not specifically um well he said this in the 60s so i don't know if that's still the case but we're not specifically trying to do that right we're not trying to predict the future and it gives a really great example about like some scientists talking about a comet right Mm -hmm. um passing by the earth or something in 10 years and it says like that is bread and butter in science they do that all the time in science Mm -hmm. they predict comets all the time right but because it's not like, it doesn't come with aliens or something. Mm-hmm. Like, we don't pay attention to it as a right. human population, right? But, like, if we can predict comments, then we can predict what, you know, well, Mark Zuckerberg is well, going to do with Facebook. Well, exactly, <laughs> right? I mean,
1: it's just kind of, like, I think we, we, we definitely, especially now, like, he was saying this in 65, right? But, like, right now, we are we definitely have the technology to figure these things out or at least start making those cases and exploring it, mm-hmm. right? So, I think one of the things he talks about, and I can't remember exactly where the line is, but uh, he was talking about underutilization, that the the... the 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 he, what is afraid of is not that oh we're gonna we're gonna uh, overpredict and make a mistake predicting exactly. is that like we're gonna have the tools we need and, just and not, we're not gonna use it yeah. you know and like you know for me I think that's that's gonna have a significant impact I think it's gonna have an impact on our lives mm-hmm. like you know a lot of people probably had an idea that they wanted to be this in the future like we're talking about law right like they they have said that like you know there's some technology I mean obviously you can't really fully argue in court right mm-hmm. so I think that's always gonna be to some extent necessary but like a lot of that has you know just sorting through files and things like that like they have machine learning for that now mm. right so a lot a lot of the big law firms are probably not going to need associates as much anymore mm. what does that mean for the learning process for new and upcoming lawyers right like so there's just all these little micro changes that like are happening that we're not really feeling unless you're in this specific industry here and this specific industry here but that's going to have like a global impact at some point and mm. it's just like if it doesn't happen now it's going to happen later it's still going to be bad actually it's going to be worse yeah
0: because you're <laughs> unprepared yeah which it's, is really the key yeah right? and
1: it's like mm. it's built up right yeah. it's like you hit this iceberg and you're like well what's this tiny little thing here you don't it's like realize global. that like it goes all the yeah, way freaking yeah. down
0: you know um i i a thing that you just highlighted i don't know if you just highlighted but just like light bulb in my head is 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 the past and our our obsession with the past right like as we, we focus we think that if we look into the past we can predict the future right um and so we, we teach history which is which is something that might be true fair, like you know his history doesn't repeat itself but it rhymes um <laughs> which uh, one of my favorite quotes um but but it's, it's, it's fascinating that like what, what he's strongly arguing is that mm-hmm. you, you don't have to do that mm-hmm. you don't have to constantly look into the past to see what might come from the future you have to stay in the present and then use the tools that we already have right mm-hmm. and start to think about where we want to go. Right. You can see where things are going if you're paying attention enough, you know what I yeah. mean? Um and then and then go from there basically. Uh, and but he actually just argues about really how the inability to do this is going to be more detrimental. So, yes. It, it's the idea that if you're not moving forward, if sorry, if you're standing still, you're actually going backwards. Yes. Right, Because time is moving in I guess in this sense a lin- linear fashion. So it's like if you do not have the ability to um absorb the information around you and then use these tools that we've talked about then, right. then you're adapt, basically really. you're right. you're asleep to what is going on right and then when inevitably the future hits oh that's gonna be nice to edit out <laughs> um inevitably when the future hits you're just unprepared and that's when the shock comes in that's where they're right. like oh my god i don't recognize what's going on here right
1: like and you have no tools you have no plan like it, it's hit and you should have basically been preparing for this five years. What are you going to do? You, you do? know what I mean? I'm prepared.
0: Yeah, I feel like that, that, that kind of captures how I wanted to go about this. Um, if we're going to give two takes, which I strongly encourage us to do, uh, mine essentially would be that um, we are simply not doing enough to get ahead of the bad things that are coming. Um, and I say we very broadly, but I also like, I apply this stuff to my personal life too. And I'm like, holy shit, like, obviously, obviously I can predict what's going to happen in my year, my life in the next three years. Mm -hmm. Right. And again, it's not the accuracy of predictions that is key here. It's not like, oh, I know for sure that I'm going to be in Istanbul, like in, you know, December of 2022. It's not about that. Right, it's about understanding how I've placed myself today, and like, what are the tools I'm currently leveraging, right? That will get me to wherever I'm going to end up in three years. And it's like such a wild concept, right? And it's like if you think about somebody like Jeff Bezos, right, who talks about like, you know, we plan Amazon quarters. Like, he already knows what Amazon's going to be doing Q4 of 2024. Mm-hmm. That's basically this. Yeah, I mean, like right? that's why a lot of these, you know, that it's another advantage that like
1: you know, certain class has is because, especially Mm. those in the technological field, right, they've been able to capitalize. There's a reason why they are, like, the biggest companies in the world right now. That there's a reason why, you know, amidst this whole pandemic, their stock prices keep going up, right? And people keep exploiting and using their products, right? There's a reason for that. And the reason is because, like, they've planned for this, and technology is perfectly designed to adapt and capitalize off these changes. You know what I'm saying? So it's just kind of like, it's kind of like, we all have ourselves, and these guys have algorithms that are using millions and millions of people's data. Mm. you know understand what I'm saying? so it's just kind of like I've aggregated all the information that you have, so I don't need to just figure out the insight for me and my life right wow. I figure it out for my company, for me as you know as a result yeah. of that, and your life too mm-hmm. moving forward right this is these are the things that you're responding to um so for me for me man, like I think my takeaway, my big take because you know, I think we, we talked about everything here. Right? We talked about how this thing makes sense. We talked about this accelerated change. But at the end of the day, right, like when you're on your lonesome, you're by yourself. <laughs> right. Um, what are you supposed to do? The idea really is to um, is to really think about what you want out of the future, <laughs> Is what I think, right? Because you know, it's kind of like to what you were saying is like planning for that is really what it's and and going to end up being, right? You're going to figure out what do you want to be, where do I see myself, how do I see myself fitting in this environment, and then taking that time and kind of paying attention to changes that we're seeing as they affect you. Because people are not going to know everything. You're not going to read five thousand articles and identify this is how the whole world is going to be changing. Like you're just going to be able to tell that from where you live where you work, mm-hmm. the people that you love and how it's been affecting them, right? Like, I feel like as, as we prepare for the future, at least what I'm kind of going to be focusing on really is how does my life fit into the future that's coming out? How do I have to adjust? What do I need to learn?
0: What do I need to prevent? Perfect. And remember kids, the best way to predict the future is to create it. Hey. Bars. Okay. Um, as always guys, this has been Two Takes in a Pod. Uh, please follow us on social media. Please send us your feedback please send me a DM. Um, Get kind of lonely in the winter. Okay. <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, that's
0: hilarious. But um,
1: yeah, send us a DM. Um, let us know what you think about these ideas, these concepts that we've been exploring. Uh, we'll definitely have some more to kind of feed you over the rest of the season. Um, yeah. And this was a production brought to you by Yawa. You can follow us on Yawa Magazine. The music on this is by 1705 Music. That's M-U-Z-I-K. You can find them on Facebook. Um, And that's it. Stay blessed, y'all. Peace.